Pixar has always had, to this day, an incredible knack for taking a high-concept idea and translating it into something funny, thought-provoking, and relevant. I once had a writing professor who said that all the great stories have already been told, and now originality comes from finding fresh, new ways of telling them. This is exactly what has made Pixar successful. They don't try to do that thing that's never been done before. They take the familiar and make it seem exciting and new again. Before The Incredibles, Pixar had done films about toys, bugs, monsters, and fish, all things that somebody had made cartoons or movies about before, but all with strong, likable characters, well-plotted, well-paced, clever stories, and suddenly the audience feels like this is the first time they've watched something about talking toys or bugs or fish. And since those films, they've done the same thing with talking cars, rats, robots, toys again, and Up is maybe a little more complicated, but still brilliant. The reason these movies continue to work is because they're about a lot more than what's on the surface. The Incredibles is another superhero movie, and 2004 was right in the middle of the onslaught of superhero films we were getting in the 2000s. Just in that year alone, we had Catwoman, Punisher, Blade Trinity, Spider-Man 2, and Hellboy. The Incredibles could have easily just been a fun movie about a family of superheroes that finds tongue-in-cheek ways to reference other superhero properties. It does that, and it does it well. But like every Pixar film, it's also about something. The film is quite the balancing act. How do you make an entertaining, animated action movie about superheroes while creating complex and engaging characters, give them all well-plotted character arcs, give them an enemy with believable and clever motivations, and deliver commentary on the superhero genre, the real-life perceptions on that genre, and social commentary focusing on raising families? Sounds impossible, but that's exactly what The Incredibles does. First, let's look at where the superhero stuff comes from. Nearly every motif and power imaginable has been done in a comic book, a movie, or a TV show. So The Incredibles doesn't try to mask the fact that it's borrowing ideas. It boldly and unapologetically presents familiar ideas as part of its universe. It's homage before its parody, and it finds clever ways to make everything its own. The Incredibles are essentially the Fantastic Four, though there are five of them. They're both superhero families, though The Incredibles are all a nuclear family, and their children have superpowers presumably pass on in their genetic makeup, rather than getting their powers in one big accident. Instead of Mr. Fantastic, you have Mr. Incredible. The powers are all mixed up, but three of the four are there. Super Strength with Mr. Incredible, though he's not a giant rock creature like the Thing. Stretch powers with Elastigirl, and I think it's interesting that the woman in this relationship gets Mr. Fantastic's power, and Violet gets the Invisible Girl's powers, complete with force fields. Instead of getting Human Torch's power, Dash has super speed, but it's a similar enough power that they have some similar character traits. Even though Dash is in the fourth grade, he's brash, impulsive, and a practical joker, kind of like Johnny Storm. Then you've got the background about superheroes being forced to retire, which is straight out of Watchmen. It isn't nearly as dark here, but it is played for a darker shade of comedy than we've seen from previous Pixar films. Lawsuits against superheroes start pouring in when Mr. Incredible saves a man who was trying to commit suicide and didn't want to be saved. Eventually, a law is passed that resembles Watchmen's Keen Act, here called the Superhero Relocation Act, in which superheroes are absolved of the now-criminal act of taking the law into their own hands, but only if they agree to go into hiding and never don their costumes again. At the time the film was released, your general movie-going audience was, for the most part, unfamiliar with the story and themes in Watchmen, and the angle of making superheroes illegal probably felt very original. And of course, now Watchmen's a big-budget film, and it's a lot more in the public consciousness. But even knowing how close those two stories parallel, the movie makes it its own by taking a somewhat different social approach. 
In Watchmen, with the exception of Dr. Manhattan, superheroes were regular people who trained and put on costumes, and the implications were what gave them the right to take the law into their own hands. Here, superheroes do have powers, and the same thing happens to them, because people don't want to feel inferior. The Incredibles deals with social politics, much like Watchmen, but it hones in specifically on education and popular perceptions of self-worth. Bob Parr, Mr. Incredible, is forced into a normal life, a life that he feels is mundane and he treats like it's beneath him. What he really wants to do is help people, and he also has a nostalgia for the good old days. He can't let go of his glory days, and it's negatively affecting his family life. He keeps doing things to blow his cover, and every time, it results in having to uproot his family. He listens to a police scanner and tries to save people in secret, along with his old friend Frozone, and they wear ski masks like common criminals. And he keeps breaking the rules at the insurance company where he works, showing customers loopholes so they can afford to keep earning a living. He's making mistakes for his family, but he's also helping people. It's a complicated and understandable situation. And I find Bob to be a sympathetic protagonist because he has moral reasons as well as selfish reasons for what he does, just like real people have for just about everything. Bob and Dash both have the same perspective on the concept of being special. They both really are special, but they're forced to pretend like they're not so that average people can feel better about themselves. Bob isn't allowed to fight crime, and Dash isn't allowed to go out for sports, because either would let people know what they can do. Dash doesn't understand. He reminds his mother that she always tells him to do his best, but says that she doesn't really mean it. And then, when she tells him everyone's special, he says, that's just another way of saying that no one is. Bob echoes this later, after she catches him coming home late from trying to save people from a fire. His wife tells him that while he's trying to relive the glory days, he's missing his family. And she has a point. These characters are all right about some things, but have things to learn. And that's what makes them likable and fun to watch. She asks him why he doesn't care about Dash's graduation. He reminds her that it isn't really a graduation, just a move from the fourth to the fifth grade. And then comes one of my favorite, hardest-hitting lines in the film, when he says, They keep inventing new ways to celebrate mediocrity. And he tries to talk about truly exceptional people before she interrupts him. This is like winning a participation award. It's a direct criticism of modern popular ideals, where often feeling good about ourselves trumps actually excelling. Brad Bird, who wrote and directed the film, and had done Iron Giant before this, seems to suggest that we've got it backwards. Instead of trying to make our children feel like they're fine just like they are, we should raise a bar and encourage them to reach it. Certainly Dash and Violet have natural abilities other kids don't, but that's true in the real world, too. Is it fair to force them not to develop those talents for the sake of everyone else's self-esteem? If you're a brilliant artist, should you stop drawing just to make your pure stick figures look like art? This is akin to gifted kids, for whom most schoolwork is too easy. They're not allowed to challenge themselves because there are other kids who aren't as gifted as they are. And it's not an easy problem to fix. That's why it's still a problem. But I like what the movie has to say about it. You can't create simple solutions for complex problems, and it delivers this idea without being too judgmental or preachy about it. The world seems to have its own arc along with The Incredibles, which is interesting. People don't like the supers anymore, so they ban supers. By the end of the film, though, we find that this world, a world with superpowered people, has problems that can't be fixed without superpowers, and so it seems perhaps it will begin adjusting as the movie closes. Most problems are best dealt with through compromise, and that's one of the movie's subtle messages. Bob ultimately gets what he wants, to be a superhero again. But he also learns to better appreciate and better care for his family. Helen gets what she wants, for Bob to accept and thrive in his role as husband and father. But she gets that by learning to be a superhero again. 
The family grows closer by doing superheroics together. <laughs> Does that make sense in the real world? Not really. But we can suspend our disbelief because this is a world with lots of superpowers and lots of villains who need to be thwarted. So it bends the rules a little. To continue with this theme of compromise, Dash gets what he wants to use his powers and to excel at what he's good at. But he has to do it with a secret identity. Whenever they're fighting crime as the Incredibles, he gets to see his full potential. But when he's on the track at school, he has to rein in his powers. Violet is the one character who, instead of getting what she wants, sees her desires change. She wants to be normal, but by the end, she decides that she likes being super. This is illustrated when the guy she likes asks her out in the end and compliments her on how she's wearing her hair differently. And he says, different is good. Syndrome continues the commentary on perceptions of self-worth. Toward the end of the movie, when he finally reveals his master plan to sell everyone products, such as his jetpack, that will make them as powerful as supers, he echoes Dash's earlier line and says, When everyone is super, no one is. He was a kid when Bob was saving the world as Mr. Incredible and is a product of the culture that decided to force superpowered people into hiding and level the playing field. I would imagine that after the film is over and society begins to accept superheroes again, there would be more of a split down the middle philosophy and someone like Syndrome really could become a superhero. He has an extraordinary talent to invent technology that could help him stop crime. Mr. Incredible refused to let Syndrome become his sidekick, and the guy does have a point. He has a good reason for feeling like he's being ignored just because he doesn't have superpowers. But rather than continuing to try to prove he has the chops, he comes up with an elaborate plan to destroy Mr. Incredible and become the world's only superhero. It's one of the most clever villain plots I've seen, and I love how layered it is. It's also a commentary on real-life comic book fans and how they can sometimes lose touch with reality. This kid becomes obsessed with Mr. Incredible and becomes that stereotypical, convention-going, autograph-hounding fanboy trying to live up to his mentor, only in this universe, superheroes are real, so it actually makes sense that he'd go out and try to fight crime. Trouble is, crime-fighting looks as glamorous in this reality as it does in ours, and somebody like this kid wouldn't realize how violent it could really be. Mr. Incredible didn't want him to be a sidekick, but he didn't want his family to fight either toward the end of the film after he thought they'd already been killed. And they do have superpowers. But Syndrome's mind lives in a 2D comic book world. He couldn't be a superhero, so now he's got to be a supervillain. He wants revenge on Mr. Incredible, and since the world wasn't how he thought it should be, he's going to turn it into his kind of world. It's funny and twisted at the same time. And he has to be really out of touch to think anyone would really buy Syndrome as a legitimate superhero name. He also has a pretty brilliant plan that's cleverly threaded throughout the film, but not in a convoluted or difficult-to-believe way. He entices Mr. Incredible to work for him without letting him know who he is, by preying on his desire to become a superhero again. His assistant tells Mr. Incredible to fight a robot he's been using to kill other superheroes with to test them for when they finally got to Mr. Incredible, and tells Incredible that the robot's AI has gotten out of control. But at the end, when Syndrome tries to make everyone think he's a superhero by beating his own robot, it really does get out of control. The movie also has a lot of clever commentary on elements of other superhero properties. Edna won't make superhero costumes with capes anymore because they aren't practical and keep getting heroes killed. Syndrome keeps catching himself monologuing too long. At the end, the Underminer is a nod to Fantastic Four's Mole Man. There are other villains with silly puns for names too, like Bomb Voyage. The computer room in Syndrome's volcano lair looks suspiciously like Cerebro from the X-Men movies. When Mr. Incredible and Elastigirl have a scene of playful banter toward the beginning, it reminds me a little of Batman and Catwoman, and I like how it's their wedding day but they're talking in innuendo rather than letting us in on this. And The Incredibles' powers are used in ways to accentuate the themes of family priorities, especially when they drop in a camper trailer on the highway and Bob and Helen argue about which exit to take. 
There are a lot of other cool nods to action movie properties, especially Mission Impossible and James Bond. The villain has a lair in a volcano. Mr. Incredible is told about his mission by a message that self-destructs. There's all the secrecy and intrigue when Mr. Incredible is hired, and he gets these great gadgets and cars to play with. Mr. Incredible is chased by a giant Indiana Jones ball. Besides being a parody of Edith Head, Edna is often referred to as E, and she makes Incredible his costume, and costumes for the rest of the family later. She's like his Q from the Bond movies. I also love Edna because she's somehow charmingly arrogant, and she's a great explanation for how all these superheroes get their costumes. The change from the Silver Age-looking suits to the modern-day suits is chalked up to those suits are just out of fashion, and it's time for something more now. The music is classic, upbeat jazz and reminiscent of the Bond films. It deserves a lot of the credit for the movie's style. I like how the movie has a good handle on real science. It doesn't tell us how anybody got their powers. It's just a world where some people are born that way, I guess. Or maybe there are lab accidents and other things, but we're not told and it's not important. That's the conceit. In this world, some people have powers and others don't. But beyond that, there's a lot of real-world science that makes sense. Volcano soil is very fertile. Frozone can't make ice when he's dehydrated or if he's in a fire where there's no water in the air. Dash can run on water, etc. Now, I've left my favorite commentary for last because I think it's most important and potentially most controversial. The movie makes a statement about what should and shouldn't be in kids' entertainment, and some parents were put off by the blatant references to death and killing in this film. Plus the fact that Mr. Incredible kinda kills Syndrome at the end without remorse, which I'll get to in a minute. This movie was marketed to kids, but it has a story and themes that are definitely aimed at adults. This is certainly a matter of opinion, but I think this movie is perfectly acceptable for kids. There's a very poignant scene where Helen finally tells Dash and Violet how the world really is after years of sheltering them. We see that even though they know their parents were superheroes, they don't really know how violent the world can be, and they come to get really scared when they find they need their powers and they haven't properly learned how to use them. I love that when missiles are about to hit their plane, Violet can't make a force field big enough because she just doesn't have any experience. Dash soon learns about how fast he can really go and what his powers can do while fighting bad guys trying to kill him because he's never had the chance before. Helen says, These bad guys won't exercise restraint because you're children. They will kill you if they get the chance. This isn't here to scare kids, and it's not violence for the sake of violence. It is, in fact, the exact opposite. If characters must kick, punch, shoot, or stab their way out of a situation, we need to know what the stakes are. Otherwise, we're potentially sending a very dangerous message to our kids. We're saying that violence is fun and cool, and it's the easiest way to solve our problems. Here, the kids are only allowed to use their powers when they're facing bad guys who want to kill them. Death is a real thing. Now, when dealing with kids, we should handle this with care, sure. But this movie takes the stance that kids need to know what's at stake if there's going to be violence in their entertainment, especially if it's not just silly cartoon violence where no one gets hurt. Now, I happen to agree, but I also think that for the sake of the story and character progression, it's just a good turning point for all three of these characters. However, I'll agree that how Mr. Incredible handles Syndrome at the end is potentially problematic. After Jack-Jack shapeshifts and freaks Syndrome out, he drops Jack-Jack and Helen saves him. The problem is solved. So how does Bob take care of Syndrome? He throws a car at him, which causes an explosion and probably kills him. Hmm. This is the guy who earlier refused to kill when Syndrome tempted him even when he had good reason. He has a look on his face here where it looks like he didn't mean for this to happen, but really, he threw a car. The first time through, I never even noticed this, but I can see why it's questionable to people. These are characters learning about responsibility, and there's really no reason Syndrome had to be killed. Perhaps it's making fun of the superhero movie formula that the bad guy always gets killed. 
But that's not a good enough reason if it messes with a major character arc. Now again, I'm not sure if it does. Perhaps Bob decided that once Syndrome tried to steal his baby, he had to take him out to protect his family. But it does look a little suspicious, and I think maybe it should have been handled a little differently. But regardless, I'm still going to give The Incredibles a 4 out of 4. I think it's one of the best superhero films ever made, bringing something fresh to the familiar and giving us an exhilarating ride that makes us smile and think at the same time. Bye.